This is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Abraham's Wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. get started with the podcast this week, I have a favor to ask of you, our loyal listeners. I have been blown away. I am thankful and grateful at the number of people who have been listening to the Abraham's Wallet podcast. We really didn't know if this would become a thing, and it looks like it's getting, uh, it's it's gathering steam faster than we'd hoped even. So um, one way that you can help us spread the word about what we're up to here is by going over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and giving us a rating and a review. So far, 10 of you have have punched that five-star button on iTunes, but we don't have any reviews yet. So if you like what we're doing, please think about throwing a few words into the review box and leaving a review of the podcast. And if you don't want to do that, that's okay. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here we go. Inheritance. It's almost become a dirty word in our culture, right? Trust fund babies are seen as these perverted weirdos whose undeserved good fortune qualifies them for our wholesale disdain. And families break apart every day because selfish siblings start feuds over who gets to grab what grandma left behind. When we even hear the word inheritance in our modern culture, we think of country club folks and cosmetic surgery queens on Rodeo Drive, and if we're honest, we loathe them, right? Furthermore, some of the most financially successful men in our society have observed that money, when it's dumped onto an untrained, unprepared future generation, has the tendency to utterly destroy them. So, they concluded in growing numbers that money is so universally corrosive that, in an effort to spare their progeny from the presumably unavoidable doom, they've dramatically slashed the would-be inheritance that they'll leave behind. Warren Buffett is one example, and he famously set aside just $250,000 of his $85 billion fortune saying that'd be all his kiddos will be receiving from him. Guys, that's, that's each kid. He's not a monster. So each, 250000 each. Then he created the giving pledge to give the rest away before he dies. And Mark Zuckerberg is among those who joined him in that commitment. Uh, the, the list of people involved with the giving pledge includes more last names you've heard of, like Rockefeller, Bloomberg, Gates, Huntsman. The list goes on. Now, the world looks at this move and says, wow, what a, what a great bunch of fellas giving all their selfish, dirty, privileged money away. And you're not going to hear me argue that all of these families are likely to do a whole boatload of good with the money that they will put towards important causes. And that is worth no small amount of celebration. But I'm not here to talk about giving today. For that, you'll have to go listen to our talks on budgeting and stewardship and luxury. Today, the topic is inheritance, and I'm out to hopefully restore a bit of its shine for you. Why would I want to do that? Well, whether you end up with $80 or $80 billion at the end of your life, 
You might have some of the same questions that drove our billionaire friends to decide that inheritance wasn't going to be the destination of their fortunes. Questions like these. Will it hurt my children and grandchildren to leave them money? Will taxes just eat the money up if I try to save it? Will conflicts over my money drive my family further apart when I'm gone if I leave them what I have? And if the answer to all of these seems like a big yes, and ridding myself of it seems like the best thing to do with my life's earnings, and nobody but me could ever be trusted to handle my family's money, then what the heck am I supposed to do with that problematic verse in Proverbs 13.22, which says, A righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I'm going to preview a few things for you at this point. First, until we understand what the totality of Scripture means when it uses the word inheritance, we're going to have a very hard time obeying God's command to build and convey one. And yes, those commands are littered throughout Scripture. Second, all those pitfalls above that I talked about, about money wrecking your family, they are indeed very likely to wreck your family if you think an inheritance is just a big pile of money. And lastly, third, you should be spending a considerable amount of time thinking about leaving an inheritance that will outlive you, hopefully by a lot. Lest you think of inheritance as some vestige of a bygone Victorian era when Downton Abbey was passed from one loafing dandy to his son for the sake of perpetuating an isolated wealthy class. You like that? That's kind of the picture I get. Well, allow me to correct that fallacy. Inheritance, which we're going to define as the passing on of resources through generations, has been critical to the fabric of God's chosen people since day one. He made some promises to them about things they would, you guessed it, inherit from him. And then he taught them over and over how to strengthen their families and their entire culture through the practice of inheritance across generations. So the Lord doesn't think inheritance is a dirty word. And around here at Abraham's Wallet, we think that concept is sarcosanct. We're going to fight for it in the face of a culture that wants radical independence for every person. Believe it or not, we don't. Do you, do you really want that? Do you want each generation to lose all the knowledge, technology, insights, and skill that those before it have attained? No, of course you don't. We even believe that protect, protecting this ideal, executed faithfully in every area of life, produces radical wealth. And again, we don't just mean in dollars. But culturally, as I've already said, the concept of inheritance wanes unabated. It's going away. So, fellas, could we reclaim this lost ideal? Even a bit of it? I think we could, but it's going to take some work. So what I've done is I've chopped up this, this inheritance chat into two pieces. The first one this week, and then the last one we're going to get into some specifics. But here's what I'm out to accomplish in, the ne- in this podcast and the next one. I want to take a swing at defining inheritance in a more biblically accurate way than our culture does. One hint for you, it's not about the money. Then I'm going to explore what happens to a culture that trades out that biblical definition of inheritance for just passing along piles of money. The preview here is, it's, it's really ugly. And lastly, I'm going to give you a few steps, no matter where you are on your financial and family building journey, that you could take 
to move towards faithfulness in the practice of inheritance. So if you're sitting there saying, what the heck are you talking about? Last week you were telling me about 529 plans from my grandchildren, and now we're talking about inheritance, and I'm 24. These aren't things I'm thinking about yet. Just stay with me. I think there's something for you in this too. It sounds like a lot. It, it will be a lot, but uh, let's just jump in and start hashing it out. What do you say? To begin the discussion, I've been working my way through the book of Joshua lately, and there's two things that have stuck out to me. First, hard to ignore, the phrase, be strong and courageous, is repeated over and over. That's not what I'm going to talk about, but it's really like every third sentence it feels like, be strong and courageous. Second, the entire book is about inheritance. Israel is stepping into the inheritance that was promised to them 40 years ago. And the process of claiming that inheritance is more tense than a posthumous will-reading party with great-uncle Alistair as a state planning attorney. And uh, nobody liked Alistair. We're about to find out that he didn't really care for them either. Indeed, for God's people, something about claiming their inheritance would require strength and courage. So it's interesting that those two concepts are just smashed up against each other throughout the whole book. And this is the number one hint that what we're talking about here, when we talk about inheritance, it couldn't be a passive act like discovering that you've just been left a pile of cash. Again, claiming the kind of inheritance God intends requires some, to be honest, some cojones in the family line. And I'll leave you to figure out who's supposed to train those into descendants. It's you. You're supposed to be the one. So I could, and I probably will in the future, dive deeply into the individual accounts of inheritance claiming Israelites from the book of Joshua. But for now, I just want to point out that all of these stories in Joshua reveal three key components of inheritance. And we're going to use these to form our definition of biblical inheritance. The first is inheritance is always tied to identity. If you think back to one of the first articles we wrote on Abraham's wallet, we caricatured a scene in which a young Jewish boy was scolded for his lack of care for the inheritance. In this case, that was land and productive potential of the land with which he had been entrusted. That wasn't all just about being funny and using some faux Yiddish names, guys. It was the reality of life amongst God's people for many hundreds of years. In Joshua 14, we see that the tribes, um, they each received an inheritance, except for one, that was the Levites. And so the scriptures say, The Levites received no share of the land, but only cities to live in, with pasture lands for their flocks and herds. Now, isn't that interesting? The word says they got no inheritance, But they did get cities, pastures, and livestock. And to my ears, that sounds like a considerable inheritance, doesn't it? I mean, Joshua 21 is an entire chapter devoted to describing the cities that were set aside for the Levites out of the inheritance of the rest of Israel. So inheritance can't just be the stuff you get. Otherwise, the Levites would have to call their allotment an inheritance. You see, what the Levites, they, they did get resources to provide for their needs, um, but these resources were not to convey any identity for them as a tribe. That was the difference between them and the rest of Israel's tribes. 
The Levites' identity was their priesthood to the Lord, full stop. For your average Israelite, on the other hand, their identity was absolutely tied to the productive resources which they had been entrusted with. So their entire day, from their labor to their worship to their family building activities, was structured around the cultivation and expansion of their inheritance, which came from prior generations and ultimately directly from the Lord. So inheritance is always tied to identity. Number two, inheritance is productive. I'm going to make a big, bold statement here, but I've yet to find an example of it being wrong. There's not one mention in scripture of an inheritance that is an unproductive resource. What's more, this is tied entirely to the previous attribute of inheritance. And that, again, is its unique ability to imbue identity. So for this point, let's look at a contra example. The story of the prodigal son, it comes up in my mind anytime I think about inheritance. And it begins with an insolent younger son who says to his father, give me my share of the estate. That share would have been an ownership stake in a productive household. If his son had inherited his share of the estate along the normal timeline, he would have received not only the productive potential of his family's fields and livestock and servants, but he would have also been entirely responsible for squeezing the benefits out of those productive resources. You know, crops don't grow themselves. But instead, that's not what he did. The son came to his father and he said, give me my share of the estate. And herein lies the biggest offense of the entire story. By demanding his share, he was not only asking his father to allow him to run off and while out for a few years, he was actually taking the multi-generational productive resources of his family and turning them into cash. And cash was then used for consumption. So I'd argue this wasn't an inheritance, at least certainly not like the father had intended. This was trading the good and right model of inheritance for a consumable pile of money. And despite the great ending to this parable, I'd say we can be pretty sure that this family was going to spend generations rebuilding the resources that had been squandered away. If the idea of trading an identity-laden resource that will produce endlessly for a pile of money that will probably just be blown on, you know, short-term self-gratifying consumption sounds pretty familiar, well, it should. That's the modern model of inheritance. That's what our culture kind of thinks inheritance means. And it's also the exact reason we struggle to think that it's wise to leave behind assets when we die. The cautionary tale of the prodigal son teaches us a bunch of different things, but one of them is that inheritance is productive. And when a pile of money without any responsibility or identity tied to it gets handed over, we're in for a bad ride. So that's number two, inheritance is productive. And the last one is that inheritance always requires claiming persistence, and or cultivating. So if we're using the book of Joshua as the story of the first big inheritance, it's safe to say that Israel was not a passive recipient of the land they had been promised. No, there were 14, count them, battles in the process of moving into the promised land. And of course, many previous generations of faithfulness and failure that led them to this point. So when one random Israelite decided 
to, to disobey the Lord's commands regarding how to deal with the plunder. You might remember this story. He, he stole a couple trinkets and buried them under his tent. The whole show stopped until his disobedience could be rooted out and dealt with. And it didn't end well for, for that fella. But uh, God was very serious about seeing the inheritance that he was providing to his people claimed and done, claimed in a very exacting fashion. He was not handing it over flippantly, okay? And once Israel claims their inheritance, which, if you'll remember, came at the cost of many lives, they were told it would require persistence. In his final speech to the nation, an elderly Joshua stands up in front of Israel and says that if they began to intermarry with the people around them, or if they start even speaking the names of their enemies' gods, what they had received would be taken away from them. So Israel's inheritance would require faithful persistence, guarding, and hard work to protect. And it's not just at the national level. If we zoom into the family level, it's also quite evident that inheritance in this time was passing down not only of resources, but of responsibility to cultivate as well. So if you receive a field, you better get ready to do some plowing. The assets that each Israeli household was building up and passing along, they pretty much all required cultivation. Only in times of total disaster, or as we saw in prodigal shenanigans, would those identity-laden productive resources be cashed out for money that could just be spent. So before I wrap this up, I want to add one more point. Let's say that you're single or broke, or for some reason this inheritance talk sounds miles away from your current reality, and you're just trying to make family and finances work well enough to to survive right now, then why should you care about inheritance? And, you know, that's a fair question. But understanding inheritance was taken as a given for for Jews of 4,000 years ago, um, but also for the Jews who wrote the New Testament. So I'm going to argue that without a proper understanding of the concept we'll miss out on some of the most commonly recurring teachings in Paul's letters. So listen to this. Paul says in Ephesians 1, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see how there's persistence and claiming involved there? You see how our inheritance is actually productive? Paul gets all of that for free when he's talking to a Jewish audience, but for us it's actually really easy to miss. And if you need more convincing, go read Colossians 3, Romans 8, Galatians 5. There's just a ton of places where Paul speaks about inheritance. And when he says that word, he means all of this history that just comes with it for anybody in his Jewish audience. Now, we culturally relevant Christian types have a tendency to snag these New Testament passages that take a deeply ingrained Jewish principle and use it to illustrate a reality in the kingdom, and we assume that they're declaring the old system and wisdom to be done with. And I'm here to say right now, don't do that. Inheritance is not a purely spiritual concept, and we should also be thinking about 
physical inheritance as family building fellows. So what happens when we get that assignment wrong and just assume that we'll dump money onto our kids? Well, I want to give you all that, but I'm going to give it to you in a future episode of the podcast. So next week, it'll be horrifying and kind of fun to listen to what happens when inheritance is not done according to biblical principles and people just get money dumped on them. We're going to hear some stories of individuals and families where a bunch of money, whether it came through inheritance or windfall, just blew the whole thing up. So I hope you'll come back for that and then we'll talk to close out this series about how you might be able to actually take some steps regardless of where you're at in your life to walk towards biblical inheritance as as a piece of your story. Until then, I'm Mark and you're listening to the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Thank you.